Oh, comic fam, Con Crud is real. Came back from Torpedo Comics. Torpedo Con in LA. I thought I was immune. I thought I could fight off the sickness, but it caught up with me. But we're back. We're back to chat some comic books. Expensive paper. You know this podcast is available on SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, and iTunes. And we're here with a very special guest today. One of my best friends. The person at the end of the timeline. Managing like it's damn sacred. We got Nick from the best comic app in the world. Key Collector Comics on the line. Oh my goodness, Nick, how you feeling, my brother? And welcome to the show. Thank you, Tom. I appreciate you having me. It's been a while, and here we are. Well, you know, we got some comic books to discuss, and we have a fun show for the community today. What incentive variants? Yeah, exclusives. What store exclusives are showing up in the Walmart packs? Yeah, we're going to get into it. Patrick Gleason isn't very happy. We also are going to be chatting some horror comic books. We have some news in the industry. James Tynan Fourth making moves with Scott Snyder and Scotty Young. We're getting into some more to me more homage covers. And, you know, if we got Key Collector on the mic, we got some controversial stuff to discuss. I'm just I'm just messing with you, Nick. We're going to keep it light. But you know what? I want to get into this show right here, right now. Hit the subscribe button. Slap the like button. And what have you seen take place this past week as it pertains to comic books being purchased at Walmart? Hey, man. It's like troubles are brewing, you know? We don't know who to blame. You got Marvel. You got Diamond. You know, Diamond does the distribution. They do the picking of, uh, well, Marvel actually sends along the word. The word comes down from Marvel. It goes to Diamond. Diamond does what they do, which is distribute. And in this distribution, there's all these crazy variants. But it's not the first time that we've seen variants in these Walmart three-packs. I mean, they've had them before. They've had ratio variants in three-packs before. What we haven't seen before is what Bleeding Cool is dubbing Variant Gate. We have so many different things showing up in the market right now. I'm getting tagged on Instagram. You can follow me at Comic Tom 101. Follow Key Collector Comics over on Instagram as well. But we have members that are posting things that they're unboxing, unbagging from their trip at Walmart, paying $9 for a pack of three comics that traditionally, as Nick just mentioned, you know, Sometimes it's a cover A. Most of the time it's covers A, cover A's, right? But we also have one in 25s and one in 50s. And that's traditionally why people get really hyped about these packs. You have a chance at something that maybe didn't make it throughout distribution. But we have members getting a lot bigger value out of these. And I don't think Marvel nor Diamond anticipated that. I think it was on accident. I don't know about that. I don't know. You don't know? I mean... Well, I, you know, look, I mean, Marvel, if they want to juice up their sales with Walmart, I mean, the thing to do is to get this type of conversation going where everybody, oh my God, I, I, I got to get out there. I got to get out. You know, they're driving all around and everybody's going crazy trying to look for these three packs that have, I mean, what have we seen? We've seen, you know, what that. Uh, design variant for Demon Days that was like a one in 500 that I don't know what it, it goes. It took a bit of a drop in value, but it's it's triple, quadruple the value of 
how much it costs for those comic packs. Yeah, Nick, we actually have a member of the community who tagged us. A Supremo Superman pulled one of those Demon Days 1 in 500s, got super excited. And we also have a homie in the community who got so lucky. We're talking about Wayne Barbecue Beer and Pops, who pulled a Thor 1 in a 1,000 hidden gem variant. This is crazy stuff. People are getting really excited about it. I wanted to hit you with this quote, though, from Bleeding Cool, because they did some analysis on this. They say that, Diamond told them that Diamond acts as the agent for Marvel and as such picks, pulls, and ships the products as requested. So this sounds like they're taking the heat for this. They're taking the full blame. Well, you know, I don't know about heat. I, you know, it's, I'm of two minds about it. And I think that, look, you know, people are finding some pretty cool comics, some great ratio variants, and they're excited about it. And I think that this type of thing needs to happen every once in a while, you know, I mean, collectors thrive on the wins and it seems, yeah, it seems like a lot of times, you know, there's these roadblocks to getting the wins. Well, we have a YouTuber that actually did an unboxing of like 30 packs. I sent you this video before the podcast here today, and he did indeed pull a handful of really scarce variants. And a lot of these, are ones that I would expect to probably get out there in these packs. We're talking like the Thor number six, second print, you know, Thanos or Thane. We don't know yet. Donnie Kate says he's going to come back to this story where he's wearing the gauntlet in one hand and he's surrounded by zombified Marvel characters. Um, a lot of people were hunting for the Patrick Gleason ASM 55 second print. That's been found um, that, you know, and a one in 25, as you mentioned, like, People were kind of expecting that kind of thing to happen. What they weren't expecting is seeing a Silver Surfer 5 foreshadow variant. That's like a $500 book, one in 500. Marvel Zombies Resurrection, one in 500. And then as mentioned, the Thor 1 hidden gem variant. That's a one in 1,000. But aside from the excitement around possibly getting a gem, a hidden gem, there were also store exclusives that somehow made their way in there. I mean... Can you imagine being a store like I, we make exclusives here and I can definitely see various problems arising from that? Yeah, I guess, uh, you know, uh, Patrick Gleason was going off about it. <clears throat> I look, I don't blame him, you know, I mean, but really think about what's to stop. We've been looking at this stuff on posts on Instagram, on Facebook. What's to stop someone from just kind of trolling or joking around and saying, look, I found this, because I saw one of those remastered McFarlane uh, variants, the one in a thousand that sells for like 200 bucks. Someone posted that. And I was like, uh, that's like five years old. I mean, is it possible that somebody just went into the collection, took something out, put it up? Like, why not? Right. Yeah, it could be fishy stuff. Um, I, you know. I've only seen a handful of these, but the particular video in question, um, big shout out for posting this, the 30 uh PAX unboxing. We're talking about Ramsey versus comics who did that over on his YouTube channel. He actually goes through a bunch of them in real time. You see him unpack them. And there was indeed a Frankie's comics venom exclusive. I mean, it literally says the store brand on the back of the book. And (laughs) that right there is a big mistake, especially considering like the Patrick Leeson, the reason why he was upset wasn't because of the one in 25. That's just a standard ratio variant. You know, those are going to. Yeah. 
they're not his, they're not his web store, right? Exactly. But it's the web store variant that he started seeing pop up in Facebook forms and people unboxing them. And that's unfortunate because there's a print count to that. And they sold that as the print count that what they solicited. So this, yeah, I didn't see that. I didn't see those one going out those, but you know, it's, and that's the weird thing. It's like, where, you know, where are these coming from? Because my understanding is that a store orders this stuff and a store has delivered this stuff. And I understand there's damages, but I, why wouldn't they just send them everything and then, you know, leave it up to the store to, decide what to do. Are they overprinting? Like if somebody orders 3000 is, is the printer actually printing 3,500 and sending them to diamond and then diamond sends out 3000 and then does another shipment based on whatever's damaged. Well, I can say, you know, cause we do uh variance and I'll talk about specifically like dynamite, for example. So we have a uh, Betty page homage to phantom lady comment on one com to join the mystery mail call. We have uh, versions of this one per box going out. That's a plug. It, plug. Is, it is a plug. It is indeed a plug, but there is always a, um, allocation. It's a little bit extra that are printed in the event that there are damages. And my experience with diamond is every single time, there's something that goes wrong, whether it be with the printer, whether it be with diamond shipping out stuff. I mean, heck, our something is killing the children book. One went to like Ireland and another went to the East Coast, like boxes of our books. And then once they got shipped to us, you you know, it's, it's traveling the world and the country back and forth like things went wrong. Um, but this, the expectation is that those printings that we don't get they end up getting destroyed. And I'm also curious, um, considering that Marvel's moving to Penguin, um, coming months, like this is happening by the end of the year. We already set up our Penguin account to be able to do our next exclusive, that maybe that this like relationship with Diamond is going to change. And I'm not sure how they're going to be handling these Walmart packs going forward. I got to assume though, regardless, considering that they're taking the heat, according to Bleeding Cool, that they're not happy and that they're going to be making some changes to prevent this from happening in the future. Well, apparently they're not being destroyed. I mean, right. In Walmart, these three packs are like a dumping ground for overstock, but it's just, it's odd. I mean, it's odd that there's, I, I would think that they would have this scheduled sort of what is going to go into these three packs, but these high ratio variants, you know, and look, I could totally empathize with the stores that go, well, why are these just going out now in, in three packs to Walmart? Because Marvel, what is the point of this? You know, what is the point? Is it, you know, Marvel says, Hey, uh, well, you know, this is an effort to try to get new readers, but that's not, you know, putting comics in Walmart, you know, where, but is that possible? I mean, are these comics, these three packs are not meant for people that are, you know, they want to get, into reading comics because it's just like a, a hodgepodge of stuff that you would never be able to pick up the story from. Right. Yeah. It's like the money beats, you know, they put them at the end of one of the aisles and they're like, Hey, you want some comic books? Add this to your grocery shopping list. This is what uh, Patrick Gleason actually had to say. He said, this was done without our knowledge or consent as an online retailer. I'm also awaiting along with our customers an explanation from any involved parties. But then he also went out of his way to say after finding out, you know, further information, seeing Bleeding Cool, that the COA that he puts with his exclusives that he sells, 
that if it doesn't have a COA, then you should consider this comic book, this exclusive retailer variant as a reject that it's not part of the original run and that you should expect that COA or you should expect this book to not be looked at the same way otherwise. And I'd love to hear your thoughts about that because the first thing I think of is that that's not going to do anything. You know, I think that's wishful thinking that people are going to demand a COA for a book that is a, uh, uh, an exclusive, you know, people are after the book. The COA is secondary. Most of the time it's thrown away. You send it to CGC. They don't even put it in the slab. They send that back and I lose them half the time. Uh, the COA, I, I mean, now it's part of it. Now it's attached to it. Right. So that's what he's saying, but it doesn't, you're right. It doesn't matter. And the, and the issue at hand is well, how the hell many of these things are out there? How many of these are going out there? How many of these are printed? And it, in my opinion, you know, that's it just there needs to be some kind of transparency as a collector. You know, in my opinion, transparency of print runs and everything would make this a lot easier because Marvel undoubtedly markets comic books to collectors, investment collectors, even even though they won't admit it, they wouldn't admit it. They'd say, oh, no, this is, you know, they were just, we, this is for readers. This is for people that love the art. This is, you know, they'll never say that they're marketing towards investment, but they do, you know, I mean, there's no doubt about it. So just give some sort of transparency because now we don't have what we had before this COVID pandemic, which was the ability to see an estimation of a print run, which was compiled by John Jackson Miller at Comicron, those days are over. You know, there's, there's, we're not getting that information. So for the health of the hobby, which does depend on people who invest for the health of the hobby, there should be some transparency to print runs. Comic fam. I want to know your thoughts about this in the comment section below. Are you hitting Walmart? Are you hunting next to the grocery aisle? Is Tarjay next? Walgreens on the horizon. I got to know your thoughts. Nick, any last words on the subject? You would think Marvel, look, their Walmart program hasn't been that exciting, right? And I think that we've seen more recently less excitement about these Marvel 3-packs hitting big with collectors. And that's probably why part of this has happened, you know, because we know what it was like maybe a year ago when some Walmart exclusives. But Marvel, they're not creative with you know, the covers, it's usually you'll get like an X-Men number one, the logo will be a different color. And it's like, come on. I mean, let's, let's get a little bit more, uh, you know, let's give us a reason to be excited. And yes, this is a reason to be excited, but it also sort of shakes the confidence of people, right? I mean, is the confidence in some of these books, not a little called into question? Absolutely. You know, I do think that it's a little early to tell whether we should be blaming Marvel, especially considering that Diamond's the one who handles all of this distribution. They hold the stock. They're the ones who's doing all receivables and exporting of the goods. But we don't know at this point. But regardless, what we do know is that we have a flood of collectors hitting Walmart, which, although to the collectors and us is, you know, a little concerning, it's got to be a good thing for those businesses. Well, yeah, but we have a flood of, you know, possible variants that we thought were distributed True. coming into the market. So, you know, what that book that's worth $200, I 
how many more of these books exist and to it calls the entire ratio thing into question when we don't know when this faucet of distribution is up because look if there's if there's a hundred more books of a one in five hundred that are out there now and they go to CGC and they're getting graded nine point eight that totally destroys the value of what was once a five hundred dollar book so that's why I think that there needs to be some sort of assurance given to collectors. And this, I look, I know people are excited. I know some people are not happy. And I know that some stores are not happy. And this is it going to just be something that's never addressed. We're going to have to wait and see. You know, I do appreciate some creators like, like Patrick and some other stores sharing their opinions, their grievances about this because print counts do matter. It affects the price and incentive variance, as you mentioned. Like, we're not just talking about one in 25s, which, you know, considering that one in 10s, one in 25s, they're made in an abundance, you know? Just do the math. If you have a store putting to press 3,000 issues or even more if you're considering virgin copies, that's a lot of one in tens that could be purchased that they're likely overprinting. So there is going to be a backstock, but it's these large ratio numbers that don't come up very often. And especially when you consider that notion that if it doesn't come up often, it pushes the price up because there's more people waiting for it to hit the internet. Well, we're talking books that are hitting 500 bucks. 400 bucks. That's a lot of money. And then if there's a flood of two, three, four extra issues, even that small number, which we've actually seen in just a handful of packs, what does that do to the market? Got to hear what the community thinks. And I also want to hear what you think, Nick. You're you're watching Disney Plus. You're checking these shows and following multiple characters. And I want to get into... The, How do you know what I'm doing? Well, dude, I got, I got my app, man. I got the app. I'm getting a Oh, okay. So, you know, I'm All right. I wasn't sure if maybe you had your, you know, some of your, some of the Comic Tom fam was maybe uh, had their eyes on me out here. Yeah, we're scouting, man. We're watching what you're doing over there, man. So, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, we've had a handful of interesting moves over on Disney Plus. You know, we have these shows that are introducing characters that are spiking comics, and something that's happened is something we kind of expected to, which is them changing characters, combining characters. And even outside of Disney+, Plus, we're seeing this happen in movies. And I want to get into some collectible books that have spiked, some that have cooled off, some that have even dropped a little bit, but regardless across the board has affected the market. It's crazy, man. I mean, it's like a whole new collectible game with, with Disney+. Plus. It's, you know... A lot of times these TV shows wouldn't really even move the needle on any of these books as far as value, as far as demand. I mean, like Batwoman, you know, on WBCW, whatever. Some of the agents of uh, uh, S.H.I.E.L.D. show didn't really do anything when they talk about a character. But man, this Disney Plus, because it's such an extension of the MCU. I mean, it's not even an extension. I mean, it's it's totally interweaved, but it's it, it makes these books sometimes these barely even related books blow up in value i mean look at what we've seen with some of it you and i were talking about it the other day that's right i like one of the and uh breakdowns that you did over on key collector comics uh it was during one of the hot tens over the last couple months and we did a calculation you know a very rough calculation after falcon and winter soldier because that had the highest view count of any 
uh, Disney Plus show to date. And whatever that number was, I can't remember it off the cuff. We calculated like, hey, let's just say 1%, just 1%. Because you're not wearing cuffs, Tom. I know, right? Um, 1% of that market, we calculated over like, you know, like let's just say of that percentage, decided they were slightly interested in buying a comic book. We were talking about over 20, 30,000 potential new collectors that just entered the market. Yeah, I think that people are, you know, there are people that are collecting the show specifically, maybe looking at it, compartmentalizing it, where it's like, okay, I want to collect everything that has to do with the show regardless. So you have something like He Who Remains, right? He Who Remains is not, you know, it wasn't even like the same character from the comic, but the name He Who Remains was used. And it's like this issue sold in July for in a nine, eight, I think for uh, no nine, six for about $500. And then a nine, eight sold last in October. So before even, you know, this, he who remains was even mentioned the nine, eight sold for 200. So we're seeing the nine, six sell for almost triple. And it's like, people watch the show. I, I don't think that they were like, Oh, this is the character that's going to be the next big bad. No, I don't think so. I think it's people that are like, I want everything that has to do with this show because I like it. I want the Thanos copter. I want Throg. I want, you know, it's just like a collection of that specific show. Isn't that interesting? Because most of the time, you know, prior to this new wave of collecting and prior to the crazy spikes that blue chip keys have had just in this last year, most of the time when you see something like that, you see a spike that's just a barely a blip. You know, we've been covering the trending list for years now, the hot 10 for over a year, and you're seeing such a substantial growth in price, but you're also seeing it maintained to a certain extent. Does it always, you know, maintain to that highest level that the show happened? Of course not. However, it does happen sometimes. And He Who Remains is a great example of which, because like the Thanos copter, we don't expect that to happen again. This was like fan service, an Easter egg. He, I don't know. Or, or not. Maybe they will, maybe they won't. I mean, I thought it was the character was a mortis, you know, I mean, I, and maybe that is the case, but we're talking about the end of Loki. But then like you get something female taskmaster, right? In Deadpool Max number five. It's not necessarily taskmaster. It's like a, what, like an alt reality version of the character. But that book blew up because, you know, as we suspected, taskmaster was a female. So that blew up, but the actual first appearance of Taskmaster took a bit of a hit, like the interest sort of deflated on it. So it's really strange what's going on with Disney Plus in relation to the comic book values and what becomes more in demand. Yeah, that Deadpool Max number five, I remember reporting on that at under $90 for a 9.8 over a year ago. And we're talking a 10x factor for a raw copy, which is hitting upwards of 80 to $100 still post Black Widow, even after it was largely considered the least exciting thing about the movie. Like that's like the biggest complaint was how they portrayed Taskmaster in this movie. And we're seeing CGC 9.8s still hitting above $800, near $1,000. I think that was actually the record when we reported on it. And 
as mentioned, out of continuity, different character design, different character altogether. It's not the same person. And this isn't unique. We actually saw the same thing with Cap 312, Flag Smasher. Do you remember how much that book spiked? And knowing prior to even the show starting that they were swapping genders, doing something completely different from the comic books, like so far removed from the Cap run. Yeah, I mean, but it wasn't even like she was Flag Smasher, really, right? Exactly. I think that they... so. They do these things and they have to do these things, but yeah, but we want to see Taskmaster in like the orange and the blue with the skull, you know, I mean, it probably would look ridiculous. And then they're probably also like, you know, we already have a skull villain. We got red skull. Like, what do we need? What what this guy, you know, he looks exactly the same. People are going to get confused. What are they skull brothers or something? But the thing is like Taskmaster is such a, like a cult favorite, right? So you want to see that character in its original form, you want a same origin, but we're not always going to get that. But then you see something like Peacemaker, which, you know, when they announced John Cena was going to be Peacemaker and Suicide Squad and then his spinoff, you're, you're like, oh, it's, well, they're not going to do the, the whole get up because it's, you know, it's how the hell are they going to do that? And they do it. And, you know, and then you're like, wow, it actually worked, right? It worked and then maintained, you know, spoilers coming. But considering that he survived, I actually think that that is one of the riskiest blue chip books from the Silver Age that we've reported on in the last year. That book was worth nothing. We had a lot of people specking on modern Peacemaker for that same reason because they thought, Mm -hmm. no, there's no way to do it. And then we found out about HBO Max and that propelled it to entirely new heights. But then we're still thinking, is it going to be a prequel? Will it be a one and done series? Is it going to be like, you know, just a a quick five episode fun thing, a team up with James Gunn because I got along on set. And then you see the success of Suicide Squad 2 and that book just kept taking off. It's still breaking. Oh, you better records. not do that, man. They don't call it Suicide Squad too. They just think it's the Suicide Squad. I, oh, I was really? Corrected. Yeah, I was corrected by somebody on that side of the industry when I said Suicide Squad too. No so kidding. They want to forget that there was ever a Suicide Squad one. It sounds like. I think they just want to create that separation. You know. Well, it was definitely like way better than the first one. One of my favorite DC <laughs> movies that's come out in a Yeah, I don't a think you're offending anybody there. But, you know, this Suicide Squad, hopefully it does some great things for DC, Warner Brothers. You know, they got so many great properties. It's like you want to see the right people with the right vision on these properties. And they're coming, supposedly. You know, we haven't heard much of an update, but, you know, supposedly we're getting all these shows, you know, we got Green Lantern, we got, you know, I, I've heard Dead Man is going to run an anthology series, kind of like Tales from the Crypt, which would be really cool. Um, so hopefully they get it together. Well, you know, while we're on the subject, I also wanted to bring it back to a very unique key spec hunt that took place as it pertains to the Loki show, which is the Loki variant. We're talking about Sylvie. We're talking about female Loki. And we saw three books emerge that all spiked that, yes, took some lulls. One in particular has dropped quite a bit, probably because of, you know, and the excitement of the show. I wanted to secure something. But it's interesting how different this combination of characters was on screen. And we saw three different particular Thor issues spike for three different renditions of a female version of Loki 
completely separate from the show. We're talking about actually let's actually let's let's start them out with the first earliest appearance. We're talking about Journey 103 and the first appearance of Enchantress, who actually, by all accounts, kind of looks like the closest thing to Sylvie and in practice acting like Sylvie, utilizing enchanting powers. That book, it's kind of tough to find the the numbers to like demonstrate its growth because it doesn't come up very often. But I pulled some numbers and Nino hitting $3,579 just in June. We also had a 6.5 hit $730. Um, and considering that there's been more seven fives, or excuse me, six fives that have come up in the last three months than really any other grade, it's hovered between 730 and 800 consistently, showing that that book is not only wanted, it comes up less than the others that are being as specced upon because it's a Silver Age book and maintaining price because people are hunting for it. But compared to the other female version of Loki's, it, it seems that people are still actively trying to collect them regardless of us not knowing where this character is going and probably won't even find out for over a year. It's a tough one, right? Because you're expecting Loki to be a female and look like a female Loki. So it's like those books as hot as they were at, at a certain time, it's like how close there's, there's, there's a certain point where it's like, it's so far away from what you see on screen that it's really difficult to make a connection. And the book just sort of is somewhat forgotten about, loses demand. I'm, I, but, you know, what's crazy about these Disney Plus shows is that a lot of the books have maintained, you know, the Scarlet Witch. I mean, WandaVision has maintained value in a lot of those keys. And, you know, another thing is these keys kind of kind of blown up as the show airs, whereas, you know, you'll see a lot of people go, oh, uh, you know, if you didn't buy it now, it's too late. Well, that's not what we're seeing. We're seeing these books pretty much blow up while the show airs. So who's buying this? Probably people that are just totally inspired by the show when they're watching it. Not like I need that, you know. When we take a look at Thor number five, where Loki takes on the body of Sif, so again, a completely different version of the character, nothing like we saw on the show, the 9.8 at its height was hitting near $350. I think the 9.8 that we pulled was $338. And then we're looking at a July sale of $250 for a 9.8. So yeah, did it drop a little bit? Yes, but not as much as expected. You know, when you look at Journey 103... You would expect it to drop more than 100, 150 even. And some of these WandaVision books that Nick just mentioned, I mean, these are such high price hikes that the come down should be as aggressive as their rise. And that's not what's happening. I think quality plays a lot of, into that factor too, factors in quite a bit because, you know, Age of Ultron was not the most beloved Marvel movie by any stretch of the imagination. And, you know, when Vision was announced for that, that book spiked. And then for years, it took a long time for that book to actually get anywhere close to the value that it, that it was picking up when it, Vision was first announced. And, you know, and WandaVision did that for the character, for the book, I should say, you know, Avengers 57. That's WandaVision made that book 
it brought it back up to those levels that we saw back in 2000. When, when did that movie come out? 14, something like that? Yeah. 15? No, probably a little later than that. I think it was 2016, 17. Okay, yeah. And we also had a bunch of books that were like dollar bin books that spiked up as well. And as mentioned, you know, Easter eggs and various moments on screen that you have to look at as not just a purchase for spec reason, not even a purchase for flipping. Like I've long abandoned that the sales that we're seeing are all collectors trying to make a dime off of comic books. We're in an era where people are seeing things on screen and they want to own it themselves. They want to cherish it. This is a memento. They remember when they saw this on screen with their family, with their kids, you know? I can't remember the last time I waited up for a show to drop that was only coming out once a week. Like we're in the age of binge watching, watching where members are willing to wait to watch a show and stay off the internet until the show is entirely done so they can watch it consecutively one episode after the other. And, and then go to Twitter and just, you know, constantly <laughs> tweet about it. Getting into fights, right? Exactly. Comic fam, I want to hear your thoughts about the changing of characters and how that's affected the comic book marketplace because this is a unique time. And I want to hear your thoughts. And are you buying any of these comics? I mean, what's cool is that you got a bunch of dollar bin books that have elevated out of the dollar bin. Even if there's something that goes back down, I don't think that Thor annual is going to you know, ever be a dollar bin book again. Maybe it will. I mean, maybe it will. That's because it's, like I said, so far away from the character. But these shows are making like dollar bin books, wall books. And that's, I, it's, I mean, I, you don't really hear, at least I don't hear that much about it, but you would think stores would be like, this is great, right? What do you think stores would be really excited about that? Oh, I happen to know that they are, at least in my circle, you know, we're, we're going to conventions again and we're chatting with dealers that we haven't talked to in a while because, hey, the con season's starting to come back, you know, con crud and all, right, as mentioned. And these dealers... Con crud, that's really gross. And it is very gross. Never, I, haven't, I haven't heard that. That's what you call it, man. It's the sickness you get from the convention. And these dealers are telling me that they're going through long boxes. They don't even want to sell them anymore. They're like pulling out stuff that typically they'll just bulk out. They'll just sell in mass. And they're like, I'm keeping all my Star Wars. I'm keeping all my Avengers. Like it just takes one week and their pocket of multiple issues of a particular book has now just become one of the most wanted books in their store. And we're talking about a time like don't get it twisted, comic fam. This is a good thing, you know. Let me remind you, there were three solid months where stores couldn't even open their damn doors to their customers. So having a customer interest in product that they've had in stock is a fantastic opportunity to pay the bills, to keep them going. The LCSs matter. Now, I want to get into some potential changes to the market, Nick, because this is huge, man. I saw this update take place we're talking about a different collector's market, but one that will tie to comic books potentially, and the ramifications are huge. Some of the biggest that I've seen take place in quite a long time. We're talking about eBay sports cards getting beta tested to demonstrate worth via eBay. Can you explain what's going on, Nick? Yeah, I mean, eBay is doing what you would have thought maybe would have happened a long time ago, which is making pricing history available to users of the site. And, you know, they're allowing a certain amount of contact, ma or, uh, 
collection management. So like you can save what you own to whatever interface that they have. And again, this is just baseball cards right now. It's like a beta test, but you know, you can expect it to branch out. So you could, you could save your, your items to a, a collection management, and then you can see sort of in real time in terms of eBay, how much your book is worth. So based on probably what the most recent sales, probably they're going to have some options for some averaging of, you know, a certain time frame of sales, graphs, spiking, dipping, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be madness. Game changing stuff. These types of analytics are honestly some of the prime avenues that some sites and guides use as the backbone of their service, you know, keeping track of multiple platforms, including the prime hub that is eBay. It is the prime hub because it's like, there's nowhere else that has that sort of worldwide action going on, you know, that much buying and selling. I mean, so it makes sense. I mean, it's, and it's kind of wild and I don't mean to get off on a different subject, but just as a tip <laughs> sort of, cause I forgot to put it into the last hot 10, but you know, books sell on eBay for a good amount. A lot of, you know, every week we do the hot 10, which is, you know, what we try to do is get three points of data of record breaking sales on an issue. And that's what qualifies the book to make the list. But I see quite often, you know, on the auction sites where you expect everything to sell for higher, there's a lot of times on eBay where the books are selling for higher in silver age and bronze age. And then you go to the auction site and the modern books in nine, eight, and even copper, you could get some of those for a steal. And I know that might be counterintuitive to Key Collector Comics, but I recommend people take a look at some of the auction sites. You got Comic Link, you got Heritage. And if you're looking at a modern book, take just see if see if it's on there. It's funny because like on the other end, covering the hot 10 like we have and, and providing this to the community, which you can watch that show with Gem Mint every single week. It's your boy Gem Mint. What's up, Gem Mint? Comic fam, what other podcast are you getting Gem Mint on the damn soundboard? We are talking the Bags and Boards podcast with the subscribe button. But we've covered on the Hot 10 multiple occasions where what you just said is correct, where you're going, wait a minute, what did that modern book just go for on eBay? But then on the other end, Comic Link hitting high sales that we can't even fathom. Like we're having conversations. You're calling me up going... I don't understand. Like, I know the centering is great on the Silver Age book. I know the color looks better. Like, the inks are as vibrant as they were when they came, you know, to the store originally in 1970, you know? What have you. But they're selling for, like, 80% more than market value. We just saw this book sell on eBay for three, dollars $4,000 less. What's going on? Yeah, I mean, it, there is something about that, though. There is something about uh, one, like I said before, you know, not all nine eights are created the same. Not all nine sixes are created the same. You know, you have books that have a a better vibrancy. It's almost like diamond clarity, right? You have some books that are that if you put them side by side, nine sixes, there's a difference. You could tell which one is a more desirable book than another. 
you know, even some of the, when it starts getting in the lower grades, like a, you know, a Hulk number one and a 3.0 looks like this. And another 3.0 looks totally different. They would, they, you even wonder how the hell they're the same grade. And, you know, one's going to go for a lot more because it's, it's got more eye appeal. And that's a big thing to collectors who are buying graded books in, in, you know, high dollar amounts. When I was hitting Torpedo Comics, I was hunting for a bunch of next-gen hero 9-8 books, right? I was looking for Riri, didn't find it. Found a, um, you know, all-new Marvel Now point one, and got really hyped about that. So shout out to the member who sold me that. But I was shopping for a Amadeus Cho, right? Amazing Fantasy um, 15 at 9.8. And there was a 9.8 that I found. It was the only one in the entire show floor. And I'm looking at this thing and I kept coming back because it was essentially what it was going for on the market. I think it was like 1700 bucks, somewhere around there. And I had it in hand and I was looking at just a couple spine ticks that was bothering me, you know, and sometimes that happens, you know, nine, eight actually has a little leeway, right? They weren't as color breaking as maybe they could potentially be that would bring it down to a nine, six. But the thing that stopped me from purchasing it was that it had some print rub. It had a line from the printer going down just like a little bit from the center of the book through the trade dress, and it prevented me from putting the money down. I just kept thinking to myself, if I were gonna, if I'm gonna pay above fifteen hundred dollars for this book, I'm gonna buy one that looks pristine, as close to pristine as possible, and knowing that even this was production, and even though it was in a slab, like there's a lot of members who say once it's in the slab, it doesn't matter. It's a nine eight, a nine eight, it's a nine eight. Well, it's not, not anymore. You know, the, right. the, it matters. I mean, people, absolutely. People are going to, if you're putting that, if you want to resell that later on, you're going to have a problem if there's more than one that's for sale, because if yours has that, it's like, I, I get, it, it makes me think that there should be like a, another aspect of grading that, that, that should be developed because how do you account for these things? Another subcategory. You know, we just got CGC to take on the newsstand just in the last few years. So you never know. Well, yeah, it's probably a terrible idea because then it would take longer for a book to get graded, right? So just forget I said anything. Oh, ouch, feeling it. All right. Well, as it pertains to this eBay transition where we can get real time accurate pricing on sports cards for now, but you got to assume, you know, once one collectible gets that treatment, the next would be Funko Pops and then the next would be comics, you know, who knows? What do you see happening to the collectible market with this information? Like what can you hypothesize in this just radically changing this game that we're in? I mean, all information, you know, look right now it's, you know, looking at eBay prices, you got to individually type in and look up every price on eBay. So it's going to make it more accessible. It's going to make it easier. You know, I, I actually remember I was talking to eBay six months ago and, and they alluded to something about the pricing, but they wouldn't tell me what it was. And it's funny that it's, that it's this because you kind of wonder, can they pull it off? You know, I mean, can they, can they create something that collectors use and that it's, you know, pulls in the pricing in a way that's easy to look. Because a lot of times eBay will implement something and it just throws everybody off, right? Or they, you know, they're not like a company that's going to, and I could be wrong, but do it, you know, a good amount of market research about what people are wanting, about what people want with a resource like this. So 
are we going to get their best guess based on, you know, numbers and analytics and just, you know, some coders that are putting together a, you know, a, you, you know, a, a platform for us to use, or are we going to get something that is truly something that we can have a bunch of filters and look at things in a bunch of different ways. And if they're successful at it, you know, it's going to make that aspect of collecting a lot easier, but it's also going to be a bit of a problem for, you know, some like overstreet, like, you know, if, it, if they, I mean, is that necessary anymore? You know, is overstreet necessary in that way is, you know, some of the other sites that are out there that are totally pricing based and, and, and cataloging books based, where do they fit into the game with, with eBay coming in with this type of resource? That's the question. Comic fam, I want to hear your thoughts in the comments section below. We have so many updates. This market is changing so damn quick. And I want to get into the next subject that we are going to tackle today because we're finding out, like by the time this comes out in just a couple days, there may be even more artists and writers jumping on this train Substack, the digital newsletter platform, essentially a Patreon version for artists, writers, and creators that has just taken one of the best Batman writers from DC Comics to date. That's right. James Tynan IV this week announcing that he is ending his time on not just Batman, but Joker as well. What? Let me uh, tell you the quote here. This is what he said. I'm not going to spend a bunch of preamble to say that I'm going to be leaving Batman with issue 117 in November and the Joker with issue 14 next April with no immediate plans to write any other superhero comics in the near future. Hot damn. Abandonment. He just totally abandoned the the superhero writing genre. But, you know, Substack is just... it's a terrible name, right? I mean, is it not? It's kind of a weird name, man. I don't, I don't know Substack. where they get that. It sounds yeah. like it's subpar. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it kind of does. A little bit, I think, right? I don't know if they're going to rename it. I, I thought I saw something floating around that there was going to be like a, a different name or a different aspect. But the weird thing about this whole thing is the way that they talk about it, right? So you are, so let's say you're supporting a writer. Let's say Jonathan Hickman, right? Who's also who is, going down this road as well. We got Nick Spencer. We got, is that correct? I saw you put Jock on this. Is that an update? Yeah, Jack, Rom V, Greg Capullo, Scotty Young. So a lot of writers. And I don't think they're going to be like, you know, uh, exclusive to just this sub stack. But, and by the way, you know, I mean, don't piss off Nick Spencer because they took him off the Spider-Man book. And I guess he was the liaison that put this whole thing together. So Marvel's like, yeah, I don't know. We're not going to have you on Spider-Man anymore. And he's like, oh, okay. No, no, that's fine. No, that's fine. (laughs) Watch what I'm gonna do. Oh my goodness. Did he just pull up did he just pull a McFarlane here? You know, he's like, all right. Well, you know, and it's funny that you say that because this this kind of reminds me in a sense of image, except instead of the artists branching off, it's the writers branching off, right? Correct. You know, this is a newsletter platform, and granted, this doesn't seem like a mass exodus across the board. This is just a lot of different creators who are joining this newsletter platform that allows them to connect to their community and also connect with them based on a subscription fee that allows them to 
provide exclusivity to these members. Again, I compared it to Patreon. It's very similar. Um, now, Scott Snyder, he's doing something really exciting. He's always been someone to be interested in teaching the next generation of writers. Hell, James Tynan IV was one of his students, you know. He, he's taught in schools about writing comic books and, you know, literature in general. So no surprise that he is getting ready to provide through this platform classes. And he's been hyping it up on Instagram, getting people to subscribe to his particular newsletter platform so that they can get exclusivity to learning the tricks of the game, you know, learning how to write comic books to his caliber and how he does it. And I'm interested in joining that as well for that very reason. What I found curious is James Tynan's move because he is specifically leaving major titles, titles that very few writers, once they get to that position, would ever consider leaving to go all in on this platform. And he's doing it not just to incent newsletter activity. James Tynan's had a newsletter for quite a long time, Empire of the Tiny Onion, right? That's where we get a bunch of this, you know, spec news, you know, we, that's where we heard rumblings about something is killing the children. It's where we heard rumblings about Nice House on the Lake, you know, wind, for example. Well, he's now solicited right now, and anyone can do this. You can go on to his particular newsletter platform and sign up at different tiers. And these tiers are going to get you access to this community. Some tiers will get you access to exclusivity, but there's one tier in particular. It's called a founding tier. I've signed up for it because I have to see what's going on with it. But the guarantee is they're going to be releasing six different exclusives throughout the year, independent titles that'll be reserved for the founding members who throw down $250 to back it. Or variants. I think they're variants, I think. Yeah, variants of titles. So we're talking, what, a $40 value per variant for unknown titles for a particular community. Yeah, hopefully. What do you think about this, Nick? I don't know. It's, <laughs> it's kind of goofy, right? I mean, best of luck, but I mean, you got, it's like, a, it's a newsletter. So you, you sign up for however much, and then you get emails of, of what the comic, like a, a certain amount. And I, and I saw something like Hickman wrote, yeah, and if, you know, we're, we got a heavy load one week, you know, we'll have uh, somebody else, someone else jump in and, and, and take over. And it's like, what the hell are you talking about? Like, uh, this sounds like a real loosey-goosey type of thing. It's like they're going to share concepts and have, you know, other writers just kind of Isn't that what Hickman in. said? What did, he, what did he say? This is what Hickman said. We're treating it like a bunch of guys jamming together, jamming in the name of the Lord, together on a concept album. But we're calling it a concept album universe the hippie it's a real hippie thing to say right? <laughs> a little bit man i mean i don't know about this because it sounds like we have a bunch of writers who are taking on a lot of stuff right i mean i've mentioned this on the mic multiple times when covering trending books specifically to james tynan the fourth talking about how he just came out with a new title after new title after new title while writing joker while writing batman it, he's taken on so much. You got to think this guy's schedule has to be a grind worse than most people's full-time jobs. Well, that's why he dumped off Batman. And it's, I'm sure that people are like, what the hell are you doing? Dumping off Batman? I mean, what is, what are you crazy? Because look, Tiny and 
he's a big name. He's a big name in modern comics, but you know, are modern comic readers enough to support uh, a platform like this where it's like digital comics are kind of hard to, hard to catch on anyway. And now you got like newsletters that are going to be comics. I'm assuming I, you know, I guess tiny and probably had some success with that razor blades magazine, that horror magazine that he did they haven't sold us on it yet. And maybe there's going to be more that's coming out about it. But in general, I just, I don't think that we know. And in, in a sense, it almost, it seems like it might be a little premature to announce this, even though I think that there's, they're ready to go on this type of stuff. I know that they have some titles that are already um, slated to go out, but it just seems like a little difficult for comic book readers to, to jump onto. And that's just my opinion. Maybe I'm being a little too old school in my thinking of how, you know, this stuff should be delivered. But I mean, what that, what it's like, again, it's a, it's a newsletter. So are you going to get emailed like comic book stories in short? It's like the Quibi. It's like Quibi, right? Remember Quibi that was up for like three weeks. Remember? I mean, I don't know if that's what it's going to be like. I don't want to be negative. I just, it seems I just don't understand it yet. So I don't want to be negative. We have to wait and see. One thing that I'm curious to hear from the community in the comment section below is that, yes, we have James Tynan's newsletter that will have different tiers that you can pay for. But all of these creators, we're not talking about them all sharing the same subscription cost. No, Scott Snyder's online interactive course is going to cost $7 a month. I'm curious what... Uh, what jocks courses are going to cost, what Greg Capullo, what Nick Spencer is going to charge, you know, and whether or not they're going to be doing new content. It all sounds like they are based off of Hickman's quote that we just read. Yeah. You're going to have to sign up for all of them because they're jamming on a concept universe. So, you know, how are you going to miss out on some of that? You know, is this something that the community would want? And it's also kind of interesting to consider just kind of food for thought that a lot of this is a digital move, right? assuming that people are going to be so hyped about an independent story that they're going to pay monthly to get access to it. But at the same time, you have James Tynan, who's soliciting variant covers, right? Like exclusive covers to his community. So it's like you still need the collectors who, by and large, you're kind of abandoning by going digital. I mean, you're definitely abandoning the LCSs, right? So it's interesting that they're still kind of holding on to a major part of our market that makes their titles survive, but trying something new and doing it through a almost subscription-like service, adding to your Netflix, Amazon, Paramount, Hulu, the list goes on. Yeah, there's a lot of subscriptions out there. But, you know, I mean, I don't know how the Substack, I'm not exactly sure how confident they seem in this because it's funny they are going to take the majority of the dollars that are generated from this in the first year. Like most of it's going to Substack in the first year. And then after that, after year one, it's like they're only taking 10%. So I wonder if Substack's like, okay, we'll do this, but you know, we're taking the share of this first year because we're not sure if it's going to be here for two years, you know? So I'm not, you know, again, I don't want to be negative, but it seems like it's something that is difficult for collectors or comic readers to maybe jump onto. But 
And you're right. The stores, it's like, it, where, where are we going with this? Right. I mean, I would think that there would be a little bit of anger or maybe some resentment towards these writers for, for going off in a direction that seems to really just be beneficial for the writer only or the you know artist only the creator only but it's a tough world you gotta make it you gotta make your own way through it i don't know if they're getting a paycheck i mean i think it sounds to me like this is they're just gonna get have a big share of the of the revenue that's generated from this i i don't know if there's gonna be like an actual paycheck like they would get from marvel or dc but they can have rights to their own properties which by the way this is the type of thing where you know, look, the dream of these guys, these creators in comics is to have something that becomes a television show, like it's option that becomes a movie and this type of platform. And maybe that's more of what this is about. Maybe it's less about trying to generate revenue for selling comics. Like, yeah, that'd be great. But it also gets these stories out so that they could pitch them and sell them to studios that might pick them up and produce them. I think that's what it's more about. Comic fam, what do you think about this news? Are you going to miss James Tynan the fourth on Batman? What will happen to Nice House on the Lake? I'm a little worried. <clears throat> I'm choking. I'm a little up. worried about you with that voice thing oh, going on. Man. I'm telling you, man. The co- the convention scene is has brought me down, but I'm coming back up. Oh, the comic crud. Yeah, the gross. You know, it is a little gross, <laughs> but. This could be a good thing. Change isn't always bad. So I want to hear your thoughts in the comment section below. Next, I got to hear about what you think about this move that Scout Comics made, Nick. We're talking comic tags. That's right. For those of you who don't know, in the mystery mail, call comictown101.com to join. We send out comics every single month, but comic books are not just about collecting. They're not just about keeping in a bag and board and never opening it up ever again. They're not just about sending them off to get to Florida to be in encased some would even say entombed in a plastic that's what you say right nick and (laughs) in a case forever which i i do all these things too so no worries i'm not knocking anyone but they're also for reading and i always thought important to try to get reading back into our boxes and scout comics made it possible but we're seeing these at lcs's across the country and what this is is a collectible card that's in the form of an ash can you get a one-page spread with a collectible card on it that when you scan the SKU, put the code in, you unlock a full digital graphic novel for $6.99. What happened? I heard an explosion. That's right. It's mind-bending. Uh, what? Because we're talking about Mindbender today. Mindbender is going in every single box in the August mystery mail call. You got days left to join the community August 15th is the cutoff. And when you support what we do, we try to go out of our way to send the most value in our boxes. And Mindbender is a book that came out back in 2017, one that I actually made an exclusive for. I teamed up with artist Piper, a very talented tattoo artist, to make a virgin variant. And Scout's doing us a solid. So aside from sending out a comic tag in each box, we actually have 500 Comic Tom exclusives only available in the mystery mail call. So a lucky 500 members are going to get actually going to get one of these, um, a different version of the card. And yes, it unlocks a full digital graphic novel. Nick, what do you think about this move that Scout's making? I think it's great. You know, even though I just kind of crept all over digital on that Substack segment, but I, you know, Scout does things that are 
unique and different. James is super committed and passionate about the comic book industry. This is a good way to have an alternative way to read comic books that you may not have picked up in the store. I think it's awesome. And the, and the card is collectible. So it's, you know, it, it's a different direction and it's pioneering. And I really, I appreciate that about Scout and, you know, they have great books. They have a lot of, they put out a lot of great books that don't get the type of, uh, you know, fanfare from the community that they should get, but it's, it's difficult, you know, it's a difficult thing. So when you get a chance to support an independent publisher, you know, do it if you can, because, you know, you might find something that you really like quite a bit. Well, Mindbender is definitely a comic book that I think every one of our members are going to enjoy because it's got a superhero vibe. It has mutant, you know, X-Men types of inspiration that went behind the writing. And it's a mystery. It's one of those books where you read issue one and you're like, I have no idea where they're going with this. And that's the kind of books I like, you know. I was just thinking about Nice House on the Lake. You know, you get halfway through that book, you put it down, go, damn, this is why I love comic books. Mindbender follows a kid who's seven years old, who spontaneously combusts and kills his parents. He ends up going into a psychiatric hospital for 17 years, doesn't speak a word, and then his powers emerge, and the shrink that's there to figure out what's wrong with him is there to deal with him when he escapes. Comic fam, I'm really excited for you to get your hands on this. ComicTom101.com to join the mystery mail call. Support Scout Comics, one of the best independent comic book publishing companies since Image. That's right, I said it, and I believe it. All right, next on this list, Nick, is something that you weren't really a part of. You were like, why do you want to talk about this? But this is something that came up on the podcast a couple weeks prior, on a prior podcast with Fire Guy Ryan. And I'm going to have to tell you a little bit of a story. And for anyone who's joining us today, you know, I got to catch you up on this. Billy's joining us today. It's storming out here pretty bad. So I think you got a little nervous. So he's, he's just kind of like uh, looking for comfort and you're, it's okay. Everything's going to be okay, buddy. Oh my gosh. I love okay. how many uh, comic book peeps yeah. are yeah, cat, got a lot of cat. <laughs> I know it's so, there's got to be something to it. Something psychological, I guess. This entire podcast, Butch has been sitting in front of me, just watching the cursor on my screen with my Oh, notes. really? That's oh cute. yeah. He's just sitting there the entire time quiet. So, this is the story. This is what happened. This is going to be a quick bit, Nick, but I got to hear your reaction to this. Yeah, get it over with. So we have this pinky in the brain cover, right? <laughs> all right. You got pinky. And it says, Erp, I knew I shouldn't have eaten all of this cheese. Okay. <laughs> and he's grabbing his stomach, right? And I thought this hilarious because I looked it up and it happens to be like a $10, $15 book. Surprised that it was an homage to Demi Moore in the Vanity Fair article that was written about her where she is pregnant, looking beautiful, you know, she's glowing on the cover. And I was surprised that they made an homage to it. And then I like was... 25 years ago, wasn't it? It was 25 years ago. And nice. I was torn a new one in the comment section of that video because I mentioned, I don't know if there's any other homages to this cover. And... Of course, comic fam. Of course, I have seen the She-Hulk homage. We're talking about the sensational She-Hulk issue number 34, the beach ball cover. And it just, it didn't connect, Nick. 
it didn't connect, but this is why this story There's is kind of, of funny. So this is what happened, Nick. So let me take you back to where I was when I discovered this Pinky and the Brain cover. I found out that it was an homage to the Demi Moore Vanity Fair cover. So I thought it fun to post it on my Instagram story. And I wanted to show the difference, right? All right, take a look at the Vanity Fair magazine cover. Click the button. And then I would post this Pinky and the Brain cover. You can go back and forth, right? Wow, Pinky and the Brain did an homage to this book. I didn't know that happened. I thought some people would find it interesting. Here's the thing. I got distracted and I forgot to post the Pinky and the Brain cover. A day goes by. I'm going through my story just trying to remember like, you know, hey, you know, how how did it perform? Did anything double post? Instagram gets a little weird sometimes and I'm going through. Hey, check out the trending video. Hey, shout out to Rach Theo. Hey, the Golden Age Guru, look at what he's doing. Comic fan members tagging me in their comic finds. And then Vanity Fair, Demi Moore on the cover. And then I click again thinking, oh yeah, it's the Pinky and the Brain thing, right? And I forgot to post Pinky and the Brain. So randomly throughout the day, the comic fam who followed me on Instagram just was hit with a beautiful cover of a magazine, but completely out of place because I didn't post the homage. And that's what brought this on the show because that happened and people were like, what's up with this cover? Like Tom just really loves pregnant Demi Moore, which I have no no problem with, you know? It's a great, very memorable cover, you know? But it was out of character, you know? I wasn't trying to show people this cover that didn't see it before. I was trying to demonstrate that there are homages to it. So after... Remind after being reminded by the comic fam that there was a sensational She-Hulk cover, issue 34 beach ball cover that is an homage to this, I went down the rabbit hole and I found more. So Nick, I want to take you through some of the homages to this cover. The first being... Yeah, but I don't really care. (laughs) Well, you're going to care because I'm going to show you this one. Quasar issue number 29. Literally... A pregnant Quasar on the cover. Mava never said there'd be days like this. And this book (laughs) is where the Cosmic Avenger is just dealing with some relationship problems. He doesn't actually get pregnant, but they do the homage justice. That's because it's impossible, Tom. That's why. Quasar can't get pregnant. Okay. Let's move on from this cover. Okay, we're going to move on to the next one because this next one is done by one of your favorite artists. We have Evangeline, issue number two, an homage done by Rob Liefeld. Yes, Rob Liefeld avoided drawing the feet, but indeed did the pregnant Ooh, Take homage. that, Rob. It, take that from Comic Tom. I had nothing to do with it. Oh, my goodness. Hey, has Rob blocked you on Instagram? I'm just curious. Hey, you know he blocked me. I uh, he hasn't blocked me yet. Asking. I love oh, you, good. Rob. Well, I, have not, you know you, I have no complaints about the feet. All right. You I, just earned his block. It's too late. No, 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 no. I think it's okay. I think it's okay. Okay, well, let's keep it going because one of my favorite artists of all time did an homage to this. We have Wormwood, Gentleman Corpse, done by the very talented Ben Temple Smith, drawing the homage. Gruesome, but done right. It's a real popular, <laughs> I mean, what, this is what, 25 years later, and this, this, this cover is still resonating with Comic Tom. I, you know, I don't know about anybody else, but. I got to hear from the community what you think about this homage track, because we also have Judge Dredd, the magazine, getting an homage. And it's another Quasar type of homage, where we have a gentleman on the cover 
holding his gut, but presumably pregnant. What do you think about this, Nick? I think it's, I think I'm ready to move on. Oh my gosh. Comic fam, are you ready to move on? Well, we're going to give you one more here. We have one fisted tails. We have someone who looks like tank girl, but is not issue number five, getting the treatment that so many more characters need to get. The Demi Moore homage lives on 20 plus years later. Now, Nick, you hit me up last week and you said you wanted to do something fun for the comic fam. You wanted to get some activity. All right. You wanted to do a contest. Explain what's going on. What's going on? We're going to do a contest. We are going to do the comic community sound off. We teamed with my comic shop who is offering a $1,000 shopping spree on mycomicshop.com for a contest that we're going to run. We want to hear the best rendition of these crazy words that we sometimes see on comic book panels brought to life. So we want you to bring to life one of these insane, it's not just bam, it's not just pow, it's like this, like, right? You know, not just yeah, erp on this pinky right. in the brain cover. No, we have right, some examples that you're doing, right? And, and you, $1,000 for the first place, what's going on? $1,000 for the first place. We want creativity, we want energy, we want uh, your uh, approval to show your video on a, uh, you know, Instagram or Facebook or whatever, and so, you know, if you want to disguise yourself because you want to make a fool of yourself, that's absolutely fine. But we have a second place prize of $300 and we have a third place prize of $100. All my comic shop credit, mycomicshop.com. And we want to get some really fun stuff for everybody to enjoy. So let's, let's, let's give them an example. Tom, I want to hear you give an example of one of these panels that have been selected for this contest. Comic fam, you're going to be able to find this post on my Instagram as well as Key Collector Comics. You should be following us both, but make a video attempt of you doing these sounds. There's three different ones. Do they have to do all three or just one, Nick? One, you know, one, if they, if they want three chances, if they want to enter three times, they could do all three. All right, you can enter upwards of three times. So this first one that I'm going to attempt is Thor beating down the enemy with Mjolnir, throwing down that hammer, getting ready, winding up. How was that, Nick? Did I win? No, no. I think that, you know, we're going to want some real energy and you know just uh you gotta explode tom you want to give uh, it another try i uh, want you to explode i want you to combust like Mindbender, the scout comic right i want you to let's hear you combust all right this is sound number three and i'm gonna make you do one nick here in a second but we're t- kind of talking about combusting this guy's being turned into flames getting destroyed and it sounds like this pretty close <clears throat> All right, Nick doesn't really care for how I'm doing it, Comic Fam. Let me know in the comment section how I'm doing. Okay, Nick, I want you to attempt sound one. This is the Godzilla call. Let's see how he does. I would have liked to have some time to practice this, but here goes. Comic Fam, Nick has a very decent godzilla call all right we want to see your participation we got Thank you I, I i didn't think it was that good but you know 
And by the way, that was just a joke. We can't actually accept that as a submission, a sound effect. I'm sorry to say, right, Tom? Yeah, no sound effects. We need you guys doing it. But Comic Family, I want to see your attempt at doing these wacky sounds. It'll enter you to win upwards of $1,400 on mycomicshop.com. And you know what? I've bought comic books from them. They're pretty awesome. And whenever I'm searching for assets, you know, showing pictures of comic books online, I always have to check if my comic shop is on the damn right of it because they've uploaded so many comics and their trademark is on so many images on the internet. They've saturated the pictures of comics on the internet because they're doing so much for the comic fam. All right. Yeah, mycomicshop.com has they have an insane inventory. It's super easy to use their site. It's like ridiculously easy. And there's a lot of comics that go out from them. Okay, Nick. We've talked about a lot today. We've gotten into the market. We've gotten into the change up of some creators who write horror comic books, you know. We've gotten into eBay changes and Walmart stuff, but you're the man behind Key Collector Comics. You're putting in work every single day, and I want to talk to you about the app. Is that okay? Yeah, of course. You know, because I've teamed up with you for now, as of this past week, two years strong. Yeah, and you've left a really nice message on Instagram, which again, thank you so much. I appreciate and feel the same way, uh, you know, that I've really enjoyed this partnership with Comic Time 101. I can't imagine doing this without Comic Time by my side. Yeah, I do. I appreciate you, man. But you know, it's true. this last two years have been so much fun because I've gotten better at comics because of not just the app, but because of you, the person behind it, you know, making categories, keeping the community updated on a daily basis, deciding what is worthy of a notification, what's worthy of an alert, <laughs> you know, what communication should happen and deciding what shouldn't happen. You know, there's, there's a lot of stress I imagine that goes into making sure that you deliver the most quality to the community. Cause I know you care. That's why I work with you, man. And it's why you're on the show today. So I want to chat about some things that in the last two years that I have learned about the app that I wanted to get your take on so that we can communicate with the most knowledge. And rather than it coming from me, I rather have it come from the source's mouth. And I love to go down a little bit of a rabbit hole of some potential maybe criticisms or misunderstandings of the app. Yeah, let's talk about it, Tom. All right, so one thing that I find myself talking about a bunch, especially on Instagram, is pricing. Key collector pricing. And I am constantly responding to it. And I never really brought it up on the mic because I never thought it, you know, there'd be a need to do it because we talk about like average sales for the trending videos and then we bring up the high sales. So it kind of covers our basis when we're actually doing coverage. However, I wanted to get into this with you because I think there's a misunderstanding about Key Collector and whether or not it's a price guide or it's something else. And I'm imagining that the term we should be using is price guidance. Right. I mean, we're not a, you know, the key collector is an acquisition resource. That's, that's what I set out to do when we created it. And it, so the pricing, cause people say, Oh, this is too low. Well, you know, we pulled back about 10 or 15% on the values because we're not trying to take your collection and, uh, appraise it. That's not the purpose. It's an, it's an acquisition resource. We're, we're giving a suggested purchase price for people that are, you know, at a convention or, or looking on eBay or whatever. 
we're saying here's a here's a, a good amount to get it at where you would have uh, some value built into it because you know with comics and with searching for comics I said it before morale when you feel good about a purchase when you feel good about something that you pick up that makes you enjoy the hobby a lot more so the, the values are designed to give you a target of how much you should not should it's just a suggestion but what to attempt to add that to your collection at that certain value. So no, it's not a price guide. Um, There's a lot of price guides out there and thankfully it's not a price guide because uh, you know, eBay (laughs) is coming in. It would, I would be afraid, but it's uh, price guidance. So yeah, uh, use that as more of a scope uh, of a, a broad sort of uh, range of what to aim for as opposed to adding it up into the entirety of your collection, you know, and these are ungraded values that we are suggesting. And, you know, when, it, when you look at your collection and the value of your collection, it's just a, you know, it's just a sort of a, a, a marker. It's sort of an indication of what, your collection is worth. And, you know, I guess we could add 10, 15% onto that now that I think about it. But there's no high value. You're not getting into nine, eight sales. These are low, medium. It's all all ungraded. It's all uh, an average. And then, like I said, we pull back like 10, 15% on that value so that, you know, it gives you just something to aim for because everybody wants to find a good deal. Yeah, you know, and seldomly are you going to find an entire collection available at the height of the market for every particular unit of your collection. There's always a scale, which is traditionally 10 to 15, sometimes 20 plus percent, depending on the situation, the quality of the books, the key books, what key books there are, the conditions, and you know, a plethora of other things that need to be considered, but this is a guidance and that's actually how I use it. So that's how I know that this is a great tool that the community should use. But for that purpose, this isn't a, Hey, I have a nine, eight. This is what the high sale says it is. I'm going to sell it for that amount. No. And I don't think people use it in that way. Yeah. These are just the suggested prices for a comic book before it enters your collection. The next thing I want to chat about is comic speculation and how the app is utilized and how that may be translated to activity at LCSs. Because I personally have seen it with my own eyes, people of all ages utilizing Key Collector on the hunt, buying comics they wouldn't have otherwise bought in long boxes, off the shelves, off the wall even. However, there are members of the community, and this has been the case for quite a long time, that complain that when they go into an LCS, if they didn't put the book on their pull list, that there are people who possibly use the app or watch YouTube videos or are up on solicitations. I mean, there's a lot of different ways you can get information, but one particular thing critique is that they use the app and then hunt for particular books off the shelves and clean them out. I want to hear your response to that. I understand that's a frustration. You know, somebody wants to go in, buy a bunch of the books, but there's nothing that we could do about it. I mean, there's nothing that we can do. You know, we're, we are bringing awareness and that is really our job as a resource is to just create awareness, make things easier to access just more niche comic books. So you're not Googling everything, but 
comic shops, they have the ability, hey, one per store, get your hands off those other books. You know, customers can go in, create a pull box, basically reserve the books that they want to buy on a, on a weekly and monthly basis. And that's, that's something that we offer in the future keys section, which, you know, we read the, the solicitations that come out three months in advance and we, we have, you know, the interesting or the possible key books in future keys so that you can go through and you can look at, I think November or October right now and say, okay, here's some books that I think are interesting that maybe I, I don't have on my list of books to be pulled. But I want that one, so I'm I'm going to let the shop know that that's something that I want, so that there's you know we're we're actually trying to prevent that type of scenario where where there's not enough books to go around. Yeah, I really appreciate the future keys section, and um, please correct me if I'm wrong, but this um, some of these categories that we're talking about right now, um, specifically ones that kind of revolve around speculation, future keys, uh, the spec deck, which I'll love to chat with you in a second about. These are services that are not free to everybody. This is a service that comes from the membership of Key Collector, which is super affordable, but something that you have to opt into, correct? The future keys is part of the subscription service. It's $1.99 to subscribe monthly or $19.99 for the year. But yeah, there's there are some categories that are subscription-based because if we are talking about this as an investment, comic books, which, by the way, there's a lot of overlap. There's readers. There's people that read comics that also invest in comics. Comic books are expensive. We're seeing $4, $5. You know, some DC books are $8 right now that are coming out on a monthly basis. Some people like to sell their books so that they can afford other books that they want to read. So it's, you know, it's a necessary thing in some scenarios. But if you're looking at it as an investment Yes, these these particular books are a fair warning to collectors that hey, this is coming out and it might actually be something that's worth your worth your time and your money. I spend so much time on the future key section, Nick. This one, just in particular, right here, Usagi Yojimbo, issue twenty, the second printing. This is a prime example of how much time was saved because. I follow the app. It's all this work that I used to have to do, pulling up the solicitations, going through one by one, title by title, and a lot of the times not even being able to see the damn cover. And this is a particular issue that featured um, a first appearance of the new character, Ikishi Yayamoto. And then we also have an homage to Yusagi Yojimbo issue number one, on a second print, and this book spiked. Now, I only bought one copy because I'm, you know, I wanted to read it and I wanted to own it. Like, this isn't something that I was looking to flip, and we actually ended up doing a giveaway with it when I saw that it performed well in the marketplace. But this is a prime example of something that a lot of people missed, and it spiked because of that reason. But the app was there for me to get ahead of the curve, and that's something that everyone has access to if you are a member of of the app, but this is again, one category of how many exist, Nick. We have almost a thousand categories, which by the way, you could search under, uh, if you hit, you know, the little magnifying glass and you click on category, you could search almost a thousand categories because we've got a ton of them, but only, but only, I think, I think maybe 15 to 18 are, are subscriber categories. So the next thing I want to chat with you about is something that I hear a lot of people chat about, even like comparing our channel to it, which we are not, we're not a speculation channel. I hear a lot of people call Key Collector a speculation 
app. Now, yes, there is a category called the spec deck, and I'd love to hear your thoughts about that. But what's your response to members calling Key Collector a speculation app? I mean, we have, you know, almost 30,000 comic books in Key Collector. Right? And, and the way that I look at it is this is a condensed, more concise resource that doesn't have every single comic book. And it really charts the history of comics. You know, we really want to pull back the all of the different layers down to the bones, the foundation of some of these characters and universe that they exist in and talk about, you know, our feature, those moments where, you know, built the character. So we're talking about first appearances. We're talking about origins. We're talking about, you know, some covers that were, you know, uh, really pop. I mean, everything that makes a comic book more desirable. So yes. uh, Is there speculation? Well, yeah, we have the spec deck. That's one category that deals specifically with speculation and there might be 50 issues on it, um, 30 to 50, but that's when you look at, you know, the whole of this resource, which, as I said, is is more of a historic document. I mean, obviously, you know, you read a, a history book; it's going to it's going to lay out the the moments that are you know important in history, and that's it's the same concept with key collectors that we are you know we're, we are highlighting those moments in comic books. But speculation in this one category is such a small percentage of of the total of what the resource is in as a whole that to call it a speculation app is is really just kind of zeroing in on on one one of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of categories so it's it's it kind of seems like a, a little bit of an exaggeration i guess would be the way to say it interesting all right so how would you respond to someone considering that it's called key collector comics you know someone who would consider what added value you're providing the community, which definitely has an influence on the marketplace because you're providing valuable knowledge to the masses where they otherwise would have to go hunting to figure it out, searching on the internet, be part of Facebook groups and forums. You know, that's traditionally where I got my knowledge, you know, cracking open an overstreet and literally reading them page by page. Are you the arbiter of what is a key? We have criteria surrounding what we put into the app. So for example, variants, right? We, you know, there's, there's, there's so many variants. There is a ocean of variants that have flooded comic books since, you know, over the past, I don't know, 10 years, we add variants, back issue variants that resell for $25 and up. So you're not going to find every variant on there, but we have a criteria because the more desirable variants are going to be generally about $25 and up. Oh, interesting, Nick. I want to have you continue this before um, before I, I miss out on an opportunity to chat with you. Like, let's chat about those criteria. I think that's very important. Yeah. Well, that's what I was doing. Uh, what the hell's going what on? What other here? criterias are there? <laughs> well, for for regular standard comic books, you know, if it's a modern book, it's eight, you know, and it has to sell for double cover. Uh, unless there's a, a first appearance that is significant, you know, like when we look at first appearances for back issues, the character has to have appeared at least 15 times because look, I mean, there's a lot of characters out there. They appear once, twice, they're killed off. You never see them again. That's not something that, you know, you could collect pretty much every single comic book 
And you could consider it a key because there was a one and done villain. Well, we, you know, nobody, that's not something that really is that much of a part of comic book history. So we go for characters that have a certain weight, you know, and that 15 appearances, unless it's a character that has a significant impact, like Green Lantern, uh, uh, number 48, you know, that introduces Kyle Rayner's girlfriend. What's her name? Adrian. I can't remember what Adriana something, but she gets killed, right? She gets killed. She gets shoved into a refrigerator in issue 50 and it enrages Kyle Rayner. And, you know, I mean, that's a significant part of his history and we want to chronicle that. So an issue like that, where she doesn't really reappear later on, that's something that we want to we want to also highlight. And it also has become sort of a pop culture aspect to comic books where you have somebody like Gail Simone who had a, a website that was called women in refrigerators. And it had, it was sort of a criticism on how women are depowered or are, uh, you know, just uh, sort of become the victims in comic books so that there's that comic book spawned future conversations. There you go. You're kind of like documenting the historical record and depending on the impact to society and to the community, it becomes something more than just the cover price that's on the book, let alone if it ends up being worth more in the aftermarket. Fascinating. So considering that you are all over the marketplace, monitoring everything, man, I've, Comic Fam, I've been with Nick at conventions and, and this guy, you, you can't even hang out with him for very long because he's headed to the next convention, you know, the next hall where there's news breaking. The no, next- that's you. That's you. That's like, oh my you go around with Tom at a convention. They're like, come with Tom, come with Tom, come with Tom, come with Tom. And it's like, Tom, I gotta, I gotta cut out from this, you know, celebration of Tom at a convention. Oh my gosh, Nick, you're, you're killing me here. You I know, can't get anything done. I don't, you know, you, but you do have a, a lot of time that's spent hours of the day. I mean, we've even had to push this podcast because one of your requests was, Hey, can we do it after the news cycles done for the day? And I imagine your day to day is literally just monitoring multiple sites, your sources, and trying to figure out what information may impact the comic fam. So that you can, yeah, I, mean, I have, I have five computer screens. It's like, it's like the bat cave. I mean, there's, you know, it's amazing. It's amazing how comic books, have become so newsworthy, I guess, would be one way to say it, because there's a lot of sites out there that are writing a lot of things, and there's a lot of information, and we have our sources as well, who fortunately give us information that we can pass along ahead of time. There's a lot of data analysis. I mean, when we're talking about the hot 10 and the trending 20, you know, we're looking at heritage, we're looking at comic link, we're looking at, you know, all of the sales that are recorded over the past 15 years uh, on GPA. And we're, we're analyzing all these sales just so that we can, you know, see legitimately instead of just, you know, a, an opinion, you know, give collectors information about, what is actually hot, what is actually moving, what is actually trending on these different lists. And in doing so, there is a ton of data that needs to be accessed. That's Billy's tail. Come on, buddy. Don't, don't get in the way. I love the cat appearances. 
for the audio fam, um, Billy Nick's Gatto is walking in (laughs) front. I love it. Well, Nick, you just went through a bunch of, um, you just went through a bunch of criteria of what puts comics on the app. Okay. But also I can tell you're a graphic novel guy. You're not someone who's investing in comic books. You're investing into the app. Right. And I'm assuming that's because of reasons that you want to separate yourself from it. You, You don't see a whole lot of opinion-based stuff on the app. You you put it through a level of criteria so that you can get the most ethical reasoning behind what you're putting on there so that your community can read as well as buy with confidence based off of their own understanding of the market from information that you're presenting. I want to ask you something that I don't think I've heard you talk about before. What categories, based off of you as Nick behind the computer, who's seeing the environment of comic books, who's updating literally, as you said, over a thousand categories, you know, updating multiple comic books, adding new comics every single day. What is your opinion as far as categories that are on the app that you feel are valuable? valuable to investors and collectors, maybe that aren't being utilized very much, but that you just have a gut feeling like, you know, people should be watching this. Just, you have a gut feel because you're monitoring everything. The check your collection uh, category is, to, in my opinion, super underrated and undervalued just because you could have something in your collection that might look like the standard issue of a comic book that might be worth five or 10 bucks. And it's actually a price variant or it is, um, you know, something significant, an error or some variation that has a very slight change about it. And you could be sitting on a totally different book. Like I, you know, and I talk about this book quite a bit, but it's a, um, Action Comics 869, where Clark Kent the beer. is holding, yeah, he's holding a beer and it was recalled and the, the books were like a hundred bucks, but that, but the standard version or the, the reissued version is like a dollar book. And a lot of times it gets looked over and, you know, that could bring me to my next uh, category that I think is phenomenal because it has, there's probably a thousand issues in it that make up the dollar bin diving section. And that, that category has you know a lot of overlooked modern books that aren't number one, that are less recognizable, that fall within the middle of a run. And it's just a like a cheat sheet. It's like a cheat sheet for you whenever you go to a store or convention or this or that, where you don't have to look at everything. You can look at the dollar bin diving section, which, you know, if you want to look at it, you can look at it by series. There's a little button on top that lets you uh, switch over to series. And that's where the subscription pays for itself with one of these categories where you would have overlooked something that, you know, you got the information from in the app. I utilize both of those categories regularly. I love using the randomizer when I'm taking a bathroom break. It's a fun little thing. You click the button, you get 10 random comics. I'm constantly trying to up my comic book knowledge, right? So being hit with things that I didn't know had any level of significance is something powerful. That's, part of my toolbox that I'm constantly practicing with. I also would recommend the option indie section. Like I actually am on these categories quite a bit because there's so much happening and you have done a immense job 
of going through and trying to keep up with so much news and updates that you have to literally be following newsletters, as we mentioned in this very podcast from James Tyne IV, or publishers, you know, doing little hints, you know, announcing things and saying, hey, there may be something, you know, the rumblings over here. You got to translate that somehow. And this is the way to do it. So I encourage the community to do so. And I'll also say this, Nick, you know, in the last three years that we've been doing the show, I've had a lot of opportunities and businesses that have wanted to team up with us, whether it's a Kickstarter that someone wanted to pay me to talk about, which by the way, I don't do. So don't ask. If you have a Kickstarter, <laughs> yeah. email me. I'll check it out. And if I want to talk about it, I'll talk about it. I do it all the time. Um, or an independent comic book that you want me to chat about and you want to pay me for it. Guess what? I'm going to say no. Give me the, the comic book. Send me a PDF. If I like it, maybe I'll talk about it on the mic. That's how I roll because I take my, um, you know, my opinion is something that I don't want to be affected by a dollar amount in any way. I've said no to so many sponsors. We have no sponsors on the show, Comic Fam. You guys support us by watching the show on YouTube. You support us by getting the mystery mail call. You support us by the merch that we put out, repping you know, the Comic Tom shirts and stuff like that. Key Collector is an affiliate. You can use Code Tom 101 to unlock a free two-week subscription of the app. And this is something that happened after working with Key Collector for months. And this was something, Nick, that you set up for me because you felt like it was the right thing to do. But regardless of me being an affiliate, I utilize this every single day. And that's why since the beginning, since I since before I even met you, I've told the community that this is an app you need to download. You need to utilize it because it's going to make you a better comic collector. Thank you, Tom. Thank you very much. And yeah, the code is it comic Tom 101? I always forget. What Tom 101. Tom 101. That's right. Tom 101. You get so if you have a hard time finding the the promo code box because I know on Apple it's a little more difficult. You could go to the website Key Collector Comics and when you go in, you sign in or you sign up, you could use the the promo code. I know a lot of people have had a hard time finding it on Apple, but it is it's easier on the website to sign up and then you can you could sign into your account on uh, the app and then you'll you'll have access to it. So you could use the the website and the app um interchangeably comic fam i appreciate your time today nick it's been awesome we went two hours long oh my god i can't believe it's you i didn't know you had a live audience that whole time too that's right i feel stupid comic news man the hot books the app the 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 rapidly moving market it's been a fun time i appreciate it nick where can they find you thank you for inviting me on and thank you everybody for paying attention. I don't know if you're still here, but uh, you could download Key Collector Comics in the App Store or on Google Play or keycollectorcomics.com. And if you have any suggestions, you could reach out to me. Nick at keycollectorcomics.com is my email. And again, thank you, everybody. Thank you for your support. It's like the fact that we're able to have this conversation is because of you. And I it's really, I can't thank you enough. Comic fam, hit the like, hit the subscribe button. You just listened to the Bags and Boards podcast, as always. Geek responsibly. And Fire Ryan will be back, right? Fire Guy Ryan. That's right. He's coming back. No worries. He'll be back. back. Don't worry. If you didn't, if you if you had to cut out because you like this guy, don't Ryan worry. We appreciate you, Comic <laughs> fam. Have a great week, and we'll see you on the next show. 
See ya.